In times of crisis, people buy rice. It's durable, simple to cook, calorie dense, versatile, and tasty. On today's show, we're cooking long grain rice a bunch of different ways, sorting out the good from the bad and making a simple Louisiana dish that's the perfect accompaniment to a bowl of rice. From KBBI in Homer, Alaska, my name is Jeff Lockwood, and it's time to check the pantry. fifth of all calories consumed by humans comes from rice. It is the single most important food crop on the planet. Corn, sugarcane, and soybeans might rival or eclipse rice in terms of acreage planted, but a significant amount of them are used for other purposes. Rice is grown to be eaten by people, and half of the people on earth eat rice almost every day. Somewhere between 8 and 14,000 years ago, rice was domesticated in the Yangtze River Valley in China. It did the same thing there that wheat did in the Mediterranean and corn did in Mexico. It enabled a population boom that required organization, and that organization became civilization. By 1500 BC, rice was cultivated in India. By 1000 BC, it had reached the Philippines, and somewhere around 400 BC, it was becoming established in North Africa and Europe. If you've ever been to a rice-growing area, you've probably seen flooded fields. Rice is unique among the major food crops in that it not just tolerates, but in most varieties, requires saturated soil. The simplest way to achieve this is by flooding the rice fields after planting, and while the tools have changed over 10,000 years, the method really hasn't. Rice can be seeded directly in the field, but in wetter areas, seeds are often started in the same manner Alaskans start tomatoes and then transplanted. Rice is mainly grouped into three varieties based on the length of the grain. What's important, though, isn't really the length of the grain, but what it indicates about the proportion of the two starches in rice, amylose and amylopectin. Amylopectin has an interesting characteristic. It gets sticky in hot water. Short grain varieties of rice have more amylopectin and less amylose, and therefore tend to clump together. Medium grain varieties have more equal proportions, and long grain varieties, the kind we're dealing with today, shift the balance towards amylose and thus retain distinct individual grains and a fluffy texture. The exact manner in which the rice is handled during preparation and cooking can lead to dramatic differences in the texture of the final dish, as anyone who has ever screwed up a risotto can attest to. There are more farms growing rice than any other crop, around 144 million of them. The vast majority are very small, many less than an acre. 90% of the world's rice is grown in Asia. 87% is eaten there. It's a staple crop in much of Africa and Latin America, but it's of more minor importance in American cuisine, except in Louisiana, South Carolina, and the coronavirus pandemic. to learn something today, or at least I am. When I decided to do this show about rice, in part because I know that <laughs> given the circumstances, there's a whole lot of people sitting around with a ton of rice that they otherwise would not have bought. And the reason that I know that is because we never run out of rice here. Uh, I think there was one time Many years ago, I remember there was a shortage of uh, short, short and medium grain rices, like the Calrose kind of rice. I forget why. There was like a drought in California or something. And you, couldn't, you could barely find rice then. But typically in Homer, Alaska, rice is not hard to find unless it's right now. And in fact, this is doubly annoying to me because I ran out of rice literally like the week before the entire world bought the whole supply of rice. 
And I hadn't, I had put it off. I hadn't gotten around to it. And then now I had to go for like two weeks without any rice and it was really annoying. There's, there's this debate that's been going on among rice eating people forever, which is how to cook rice. And everybody has their own way of doing it. And everybody swears that one particular way is the best. Personally, this is how I learned how to cook rice. You take one and a half times the amount of water that you have rice, bring that to a simmer, add a little salt, cover it, let it go for 18 to 20 minutes, boom, you're done. That gets a certain texture of rice where it's like kind of a fluffy white rice, but the, the greens aren't super distinct because you didn't wash it. There's still a fair amount of starch on the outside. So it's not the really fine, super distinct grains like you get in a lot of, say, uh, Indian cooking with long grain rice where that's it's a different texture that they're going for and then there's there's also there's a there's another style of cooking rice i've never tried and i'm actually kind of excited today because today we're going to cook rice a whole bunch of different ways and we're just going to observe the differences between them in my opinion it's not that one way is better than another way it's that every way gets you a different texture and those different textures work for certain dishes and not for others. How, how you cook your rice matters for how, what kind of dish you're looking for at the end. So I have, in front of me, I have two, one, I think they're one and a half quart pots and a wok and a steamer basket. And in one of them, I'm going to make rice the way that I learned how to do it. As far as I can tell, this is closer to the way that rice, that plain rice is typically cooked in a lot of countries in uh, West Africa. And it is fairly easy to figure out why African rice cooking is the dominant strain of rice cooking in the Southern United States. And that is because of slavery. Slaves were the ones who grew it and they, they were the only one, they were the ones who knew how to cook it. So that is why like jambalaya is basically a West African rice dish with a French name. <laughs> is pretty much what we're looking at here. So that's why the, the kind of rice in the Southern US tends to be a little fluffier, a little stickier than something like a basmati that you would get in India where it's very, it's about the individual grains of rice and they're much more distinct from each other. And it, it's just a different style of cooking. And then I'm curious to see what happens with this, uh, with this steamed rice, because again, I've never made it. I mean, I'm sure I've had it a billion times, but I've never made it. I finally bought myself a bamboo steamer. And uh, so we're gonna do that today. We'll get to that later. And the steamed rice is also interesting because it's, uh, it's an example of a kind of rice cookery that I've almost never do, which is you boil the water or you boil the rice in the water and then you drain the excess. You, you boil it in a big amount of water and then you drain the leftovers. And then you, then you go and you steam the rice. Um, I have always measured my rice, you know, and then there's no excess water. So this is also a third style of rice cookery and it's not one that I'm particularly familiar with. It's not one I've done a lot. I'm very excited here. And the particular version, the recipe for plain white steamed rice that I'm using is from Fuchsia Dunlop, who is awesome and who took the trouble to learn Chinese and spend lots of time in their cooking schools so that the rest of us did not have to. This is a, but this is her st traditional steamer rice. So that's the, that's the recipe we'll be using for that. So the first one is going to be the one that I learned how to make. And for this, I'm going to be completely authentic. This is how I learned it. Oh, and for those of you listening at home who are like, hey, idiot, just use a rice cooker like everybody who eats a lot of rice, you are correct. However, I don't have a rice cooker. I should get a rice cooker. I got a really small kitchen, which is why I don't have a, the main reason I don't have a rice cooker. Yes, rice cookers take a lot. Of, rice cookers make things easy, but with this way, you get a little bit of control over the uh, different textures. So this is how I learned to make rice. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do one cup of each in each one of these, and it's gonna <laughs> it's gonna be a huge amount of rice. So I'm gonna have a lot of leftover rice. So so I'm measuring things exactly. There's one cup of rice, and I'm dropping a pinch of salt in with my one cup of rice. Shake it around. Do not wash. And I'm going to use a measuring cup. And so there we go. Now I'm done. <laughs> 
pretty much ready to go. So I'm gonna get that one on the stove. I'm not gonna start any of this stuff yet. I'm gonna cook these all at the same time. So that is the first one. That is unwashed rice, one and a half to one water to rice ratio. Uh, that's a standard ratio. That's what I use all the time. It works great. It, it will yield, it should yield, we'll see in a little bit, it should yield a, uh, a nice fluffy but still sticky um, white rice. So the next one, I'm not going to measure. I'm just going to put in what looks to be roughly a cup of this Indian basmati rice, which is all that I could, I could find that and I could find sweet rice. So this one I'm going to wash. And for washing, washing rice, really easy. You just roll it around in the water and you decant the water, pour it off, leaving the rice behind. And we're gonna do this again. And the typical instruction is to go until the water runs clear. And what we're doing here, what we're doing is we are washing the excess starch off of the outside of the rice. And it's this excess starch that causes the stickiness of rice. It's what causes rice to stick together a little more. It's what causes rice to uh, have in, in real excess, if you've got a lot of it, or if you have really bad quality rice that has a lot of broken grains and a lot of crushed up uh, powdery rice in with it, and that can make really gummy rice. So I think, uh, so I don't know if part of the reason for, and I, and I, I remember like when, when I was a kid, you know, my mom would always make sure that we, you know, she had specific rice brands and that's what she would always buy. And she would complain that if she got brands that were cheaper, you know, that weren't as high quality, that they would be gummier and, and not as good. They would lose, gummy rice, does, it doesn't have a lot of texture, you know? And, and you still want the rice to, even if, even if you want it to be a little sticky on the outside, you still want it to have some texture on the end. Okay, and so for this style, this is the one where you do the famous up to your knuckle measure. So that is what I've got here. So I've got the rice on the bottom of the pan and I am filling water up to my knuckle. And I'm gonna actually take a look. Now, just looking at this right on the stove in front of me, the unwashed rice versus the washed rice, it's really striking how cloudy the, the water is in the unwashed rice. I mean, it's, it's night and day. It's, you can't even see the rice in the, the unwashed pot. Whereas in the washed pot, it's just clear water sitting on a bunch of rice. Now I'm also checking the depth of the one and a half cup of water to one cup of rice with my finger. It just covers my fingernail. Whereas with the other one is definitely a little bit more. It's probably closer to two to one. So that is gonna be a little bit different as well. It's gonna be a little, it's gonna have a little wetter, it's gonna have some more water to it. So that will also affect the texture. And I think that part of the, uh, the difference between the unwashed style versus the washed style is that typically the unwashed style, if it gets cooked with a little less water, then that maybe counteracts a little bit of the tendency to absorb a lot of water and then also get gummy. So we'll see, actually. I've never, I've never cooked them side by side like this and actually like focused on the differences between them. So this is, this is kind of new and interesting to me. And then the final thing, I better add some salt. It's cheating if I don't put salt in one of these and I'll be like, wow, that rice is terrible. Never do that, and it's only because I didn't put salt in it. All right, so the next one, this is, this is Fuchsia Dunlop's traditional steamer rice. She wants me to bring my rice to a boil in plenty of water, then simmer for seven to eight minutes until nearly cooked, but still a little hard and starchy. Then strain, reserving the water to use as a rice soup if desired. You can drink the, drink the leftover rice water for some extra nutrition, and then we'll put it in the steamer. So we're gonna get things going. First of all, put a little rice in there. That's in the bottom of my wok. I'm just using a wok because I'm gonna use it for the steamer anyway, so might as well. And plenty of water, and she doesn't, does she say to rinse? I didn't actually see, let me go check. Let me go see, Fuchsia, do you want me to rinse? Rinse the rice well, yes. Fuchsia wants me to rinse. I will do what Fuchsia says. Same deal. Plenty of water, 
that's plenty of water. Here we go. So I've got a little salt in each one. Got my wok cranked up. Now let's let's start up all of them. Get a wooden spoon. One of the things I've always heard about rice is that you should stir it as little as possible. Part of that is to make sure that you're not knocking more extra starch off the rice. Part of it is to avoid breaking the, the grains. Um, the other thing that I've always heard is you can stir right, if you're gonna stir, stir right at the beginning, uh, before it comes to a boil. Once it comes to a boil, never stir after that. This is rice lore that I've heard all my life. If this was a, <laughs> this was a Cook's Illustrated show, then I would sit here and uh, make like 12 different kinds of rice with various degrees of stirring happening and different amounts of washing. And it would be awesome, and you would learn a lot about rice, but I don't have the budget that Cook's Illustrated does, so you're getting this. <laughs> Maybe someday I'll be able to afford a bow tie. Got some bubbles happening on the side of the walk, so I am not touching these. I am just watching them, watching the bubbles come. <sighs> they usually cut this stuff out of cooking shows for some reason, like standing here. This is actually happening fairly quickly. I'm pretty excited. The washed basmati is currently, looks like it's winning the race. It's about to start boiling here, which is unsurprising because it has less water than the wok. And I think that the burner that it's sitting on generate puts out a little more heat than the burner the, the unwashed rice is sitting on. All right, so I just covered the, the washed rice and I'm going to set my timer and I'm going to set it for 18 minutes. 18 minutes is generally pretty much the minimum that you're gonna be looking at for rice cookery. But I generally find that 20 minutes is a little closer to what we're really looking at. And I've turned it down to as low as I could possibly go. And my unwashed rice has now started to boil just a little bit. So I'm gonna cover that with its tight lid and let it go. We are just getting up to a simmer in the walk. So I'll start my countdown 16 minutes now. So I will check my walk rice at nine minutes left in the timer. And that'll be seven, seven minutes of boiling for this one. Today we're going to be making a dish that is not one of the famous. Since the episode's about rice, I feel like I have to make a Louisiana dish. But we're going to be making one of the ones that this is definitely a home cooking classic. You don't really find this dish in restaurants. This is something that your mom makes. This is something that your grandmother makes. People don't argue about this dish. They just make it and they eat it and they love it. And it's called chicken fricassee. And it is pretty easy to trace, really. You know, it's not like something like gumbo where you're not exactly sure how all how everything got put together. There, it comes from a lot of different influences in a lot of different areas, and there's a lot of different styles of it. This is basically the same dish as the French chicken fricassee with two tweaks. There's a dark roux, and it, ha it subs bell pepper for carrots in the mirepoix, in the Holy Trinity. The French fricassee was made with a velouté, a white sauce made of a lightly cooked to maybe brown butter roux with chicken stock involved. And then you just stew the chicken in that. It's chicken stew. Is This is all this is. This is chicken stew. This is a particular variety of chicken stew. And that went across to French Canada, to Acadia. You can still find the same dish there in basically the same fashion as they originally made it in France. And then it migrated with the Acadians down to South Louisiana and there, through some weird alchemy, it turned into the Cajun version of chicken fricassee, which is made with a dark roux, a dark Cajun roux made with oil instead of butter or lard. More common back then to use, in the old days, to use lard. More common now to use oil. And it subs bell pepper for the carrots in the French mirepoix. So these, this is really the only major difference between the two dishes. Uh, it turns it into a completely different dish, of course, with a completely different flavor. 
And typically the French, the, the Cajun version would be served over rice, where the French version would be served either on its own as, as a sauce or, you know, with potatoes or whatever. Rice is, there's some rice in France, but it's not super common. It's typically only common once you get closer to the Mediterranean. So I've got my pan heating and I have some oil here. I'm gonna brown my chicken first. Um, traditionally in a, in a French fricassee, usually they tend to be a white sauce. So a lot of times they won't even brown the chicken. They'll just basically poach the chicken in the sauce. But since this is a brown sauce, this is how I learned to make it. And I've stripped all the skin off. Traditionally, you would leave the skin on, on the pieces and cook them in the, the sauce. And then some people would eat it and some people would pick it off and put the floppy skin on the side of the plate. Personally, I usually just put the chicken skin in with the stock when I make the stock because I almost always buy a whole chicken, break it down, and then make stock out of the bones and the skin and uh, and then use the rest, use the parts in whatever dishes I'm making. Chicken skin has a lot of chicken flavor, so it's a really great ingredient for chicken stock. And it's also got a ton of gelatin in it, but it turns into a limp dish rag when you cook it and it's not brown. Browned crispy chicken skin is one of the greatest things you can ever possibly eat. And chicken skin that's just poached is not, at least to me. Some people want that texture. I do not. Let's start out with a generous bit of oil in here. That is probably gonna be about a quarter cup and this is gonna be the oil. Ooh, nice. That's all the oil in my squeeze bottle. Um, this is gonna be the oil that I also use to make my roux. So I'm gonna go ahead and heat it up a little bit. If you leave the skin on the chicken, then a little tiny bit of the chicken fat will render out into the oil, but it's pretty inconsequential. So once your oil starts to shimmer, go ahead and put my naked pieces in there. Now, so all I'm doing right now is I'm just browning the outside of the chicken. I'm getting a little bit of brown, sort of chickeny flavor in the, in the base of the oil. I'm adding just a little salt to the outside. I usually salt my chicken beforehand, but I forgot to do it this time. Um, we're not cooking the chicken right now. All I'm doing is browning the outside a little bit. Then I'm gonna put the chicken back in the bowl from which it came gross chicken juices and all because this is gonna once I get the sauce built then the chicken is gonna finish simmering in the sauce I'm also just gonna brown one side of the chicken that way it definitely won't overcook um, once I put it in the sauce you don't get any advantage from trying to brown two sides of the chicken it takes a while for you know raw chicken with no skin on it to crisp up a little bit so I just leave it on the one side so if you leave the chicken out and you make this dish the exact same way where you just have this nice dense brown sauce, you get what is like, it's a dish that you never see in restaurants. People hardly ever talk about it, but it is like the one thing that I just always crave. All it is is rice and gravy, and it's rice made with basically the sauce from this. So rice with a sauce made of a dark brown roux, holy trinity, some garlic, and a few spices and some herbs and you just mix that with rice and it's awesome. It's the greatest. You can serve it with anything else. You know, obviously you can cook other stuff in the rice. It's really good with mushroom gravy, actually. You can make a totally vegan one that is actually really awesome if you use, uh, you know, cooking oil and then mushroom. I like to use dried mushrooms. You use the mushroom water as the, as the flavor base for the stock and then you chop the mushrooms real fine and throw it in there. And it makes super good rice and gravy. So if you take the exact same thing that we're doing right now and just sub out mushroom stock and, uh, and mushrooms, you get something that's really delicious. People always complain that there's too much animal fat and stuff or, you know, animal products and Cajun food. It's hard to make it good if, it's, if it doesn't contain it, but it's totally not true. Maybe one day on the show, we'll try to figure out how to make like a totally vegan gumbo that is amazing. Because even gumbo's herbs, which is made with greens, it always contains a bunch of salt pork. Okay, these guys are starting to brown a little bit. And again, they don't have to get, we're not looking for like the charred exterior of a steak. We're just looking for a little bit of brownness on them just to give it a little extra depth of flavor, some fall to go into the bottom of the stock, just to make everything a little bit nicer. Okay, I'm now stirring a little bit to just sort of loosen some of the some of the fall from the bottom in the oil because I am going to add my flour. And we're doing this roux the same way that we did it in the filet episode where we actually made a gumbo from start to finish. You know, the traditional way is to take an hour to make a dark roux, but I don't have an hour. 
So we're gonna do this the hot way. So the first thing that we're doing is we're getting our oil nice and hot. Now I don't wanna do this, if I'm doing this with fresh oil, I can get the oil crazy hot. I can get the oil up to 400 degrees, but I don't wanna do this because I have a little foam in the bottom of the skillet. So I'm just gonna bring it up a little past, it'll probably get up to around 300, because I don't wanna burn that foam. The foam complicates things. It doesn't make it impossible, it just complicates things. The easiest way to do this, if, you were, if you've never made a roux before, always, always, always start out just by making a very basic flour and oil, nothing else in the pan, and then once you've done it a few times and you know what to look for and know what to avoid, then you can start doing the advanced stuff where you're doing it fast, you're doing it hot, you're doing it, maybe you've got some other stuff in the pan. But if you're, if it's the first time you've ever made roux, do it the low and slow way because it's, that's how you learn what things are gonna look like at various stages in the roux. Um, it's all about color and it's all about knowing how fast certain colors develop. Like it takes a long time to get from white to say a sandy, a, a wet sand color, but it doesn't take very much time at all to go from wet sand to burn. So I don't really have any bubbles anymore. The fond is kind of dark. So that was about a quarter, maybe a third of a cup of oil. So I'm gonna add about a third of a cup, a little more of flour. I got a whisk, which is what you always start a roux with is a whisk because it's the fastest thing to get the clumps broken up. So now that my roux is basically smooth, now I'm gonna transfer to the wooden spoon. And the reason I get, I always make this transition is because the, uh, the wooden spoon is better for getting the corners. And the corners, if you don't pay attention to the corners of your pot, they are very, very liable to burn. So the advanced part of this is that if you're, if you're doing a roux just by itself with no fawn, no nothing else has been cooked in it beforehand, you, uh, It'll be basically homogenous. There will be little chunks of, you know, slightly, you know, as little little parts of the flour get darker than others, but it's not, everything stays a little more homogenous. With this, I already have, I got some big brown pieces of chicken in here, of, of the fawn that have already turned brown. So it's not necessarily, if I see dark spots occurring, it's not necessarily the roux burning. It could just be those getting a little darker. As long as I don't smell the roux burning, then, I'm gonna be fine. But if you were to just walk in here, having only heard about making a roux, you would be like, oh my God, it looks terrible. And like, no, 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 it's fine. Everything's okay. While I'm doing this with one hand, I have my onions chopped. The other important thing about making a roux is always making sure that your onions are chopped. You can hold off on the, the celery and the bell pepper, but you have to, you have to chop the onions because those go in first. And they do the most of the work of cooling down the roux so that it doesn't burn. And in a hot roux situation like this, the pan's gonna be a little hotter than normal because it's had, it has so much heat going into it. So you really need the onions to start working as soon as the roux hits the color that you want. Now if you're doing this low and slow, again, it's about an hour. Or usually the classic description is about as long as it takes to drink two beers. This way it takes about 10 minutes start to finish. But you run a much higher risk of burning it. All right, I'm now moving into a sort of sandy color so i'm getting to where i want to be constantly stirring constantly moving and you have to stir kind of aggressively but not hard because you don't want to splash it on you i've already splashed it a little bit on myself and you'll learn why it's called cajun napalm all right now i'm getting into the sand is starting to look wet now we're starting to get into like, now it's kind of tahini colored. It's not quite peanut butter, it's a little more like tahini. But it's moving a lot quicker now, like you can see the color changing. Whereas before it was like, it was a very slow process and you just all of a sudden you notice that it was a different color, now you can see it changing by the, almost by the second. So now we're kind of in the kind of peanut butter that has a lot of extra stuff in it where it's not just peanuts, so it's kind of light, but it's still got that sort of dark reddish peanut color. It's like Jif right now. Definitely now it's a darker peanut. And this is one of those dishes that I'm generally not going to try to take this as far as I would take like a gumbo. I think a lot of the intensity and a lot of the greatness of gumbo comes out of taking the roux as far as you can get it. And for this, I'm not gonna do that. You know, this is not like some daredevil thing. So I'm basically gonna stop here, right around Copper Penny, 
right around very, very light, light milk chocolate, which is really about where I am right now. So I'm going to dump my onions and turn off, turn off the stove and stir like crazy for just a second. Add a little bit of salt to the onions. Oh, it smells so good. My favorite smell in the kitchen. Onions hitting the roux. And the, the burner right now is totally off, and I'm going to leave it off until most of the, the sizzling stops and most of the water is cooked out of the onions. There's a tremendous amount of stored energy in this, in this system right now, so... I'm gonna let that dissipate before I start adding to it again. This is this is actually kind of exciting because I've never, like I say, I've never done this uh, this boil in a bunch of water, drain it, and then finish in the steamer method. And uh, people swear by it. People that really that like it love it. Maybe I'll become a convert. I hope so, because I got this steamer and I haven't really done much with it yet. I, but well, one thing that's that's fun about the uh, the wok method with the with a bunch of water is I've never actually watched rice cook because it's always been in a covered pot. It's quite active, bubbling away, bouncing around, little grains of rice popping around. It's like a little disco rice party. <laughs> this is really, man. What do you say about boiling rice? Blah 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 blah. I guess I better get a colander ready. Catch this rice. So for my steamer, it's just I have a really small little bamboo steamer. This one's like probably, I don't know, eight or nine inches across. And I've just lined it with a little tiny bit of cheesecloth so that the rice doesn't fall through the holes. And uh, it's gonna go right in this wok with a little water underneath it very shortly. Look at that, the rice is all swelling up much bigger now looks like long little noodles and yeah these are very definitely like super distinct which i'm guessing is because there's so much water in here much more than there would ordinarily be like the rice can really move around and shake and really throw off that excess starch um it's kind of interesting <laughs> it's really interesting to watch when i've peaked when rice is uh being made in the in the usual fashion with less water it doesn't move around near this much, you know, it's rapidly absorbing the water and it quickly becomes sort of a homogenized mass. Um, this, the grains are much more distinct. And they almost, it almost seems like they're getting longer. You know, not just swelling up a little bit, but actually like growing quite a bit. It's interesting. We'll see if, we'll see if that's just me being crazy or if at the end they actually do look substantially different. A minute and a half more before I'm gonna pull these guys. Um, we're getting pretty close here. I'm going to get a spoon because Fuchsia wants me to cook until nearly cooked but still a little hard and starchy in the center of each grain. Like pasta, I'm guessing, a couple of minutes before it's done. Mm. That is exactly what it feels like. Okay. So I'm going to kill the kill the heat on that. So I just dumped it out into a colander with some pretty small holes so I didn't lose much of it. I guess I have a strainer, but I don't know where it went. And now just put a little bit of water here in the bottom. Don't want it coming up the sides of the steamer. I'm supposed to put it in a relatively thin layer. I might actually need to get the other. I thought I was going to be able to get away with only one uh, one layer of my steamer, but I think that might be a little thick. Yeah, I'm going to get the other layer of my bamboo steamer. All right, there we go. Two layers in my bamboo steamer. Water get to a boil here. 
How long does she, she wants me to steam over a high flame for about 10 minutes until fragrant and fully cooked. So that is what I'm going to do. And I got about six minutes left on the other rice, but those are gonna have to fluff up a little bit. We'll get to that here in just a minute. So I think everything will just about be ready at the same time. So now I'm putting it in the steamer, in the wok. I have settled it in there, and now we are steaming away. So I got five minutes left on the unwashed rice, and then I'll set it for another five minutes. Turn that down a little so I don't steam all my water away. Blip, 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 blip. There we go. Okay. So that is going to be for the unwashed, or for the washed rice. So let's pull that off, give it a quick taste, make sure it's cooked. And now comes the fluff. Very important part, because you want the excess water vapor to evaporate instead of just condensing right back on the rice and assisting in making things gummy. And so here, I'm gonna let, this one had about a three minute head start on the unwashed. Uh, two minutes. So I'm going to start on the, this will be for the unwashed rice, the way that I learned to make it. And so just looking at this, on the spoon, the grains are very, very distinct. There's a slight roughness to them. I might have been able to wash this one more time and uh, get rid of some of that little extra starch. There's a little bit of a bite to the grains, but they aren't eating it. It's got a lot of that really, really characteristic basmati nuttiness which I'm expecting all of these to have. The grains are certainly distinct, but yeah, like I say, they, they're actually sort of rough looking. Like, we'll see what happens in the, uh, in the unwashed version because that one's been much less agitated, so we might actually even get a better, a better grain appearance. This is, yeah, this is like kind of not that great. All the good rice got bought up, apparently. That's how it goes, though, because if this was really super high quality rice, there wouldn't be near this amount of broken grains. And, uh... And the, the texture would be a lot nicer. These, yeah, the unwashed rice, or the washed rice, a lot of the grains are, oops, a lot of the grains are busted up. This is the unwashed rice. Now, the first thing that I notice is that there is a distinct crust at the bottom. Some of the rice is stuck to the bottom, which was not the case with the washed rice. And the other thing that I'm honestly noticing is that the grains are a lot nicer looking. <laughs> like I just was hypothesizing before I opened this container, it looks a lot better than the, the washed rice that was cooked in a little more water and was agitated quite a bit more. The grains are a lot more whole in total. Their texture is better. I mean, it's night and day. <laughs> it's absolutely night and day. Let's give the steamer rice three more minutes. I mean, I'm actually shocked. I'm really, really surprised. Um, I didn't expect this at all. Like to, to the degree that I'm wondering if I mixed them up, <laughs> but I didn't. Yeah, I didn't at all because the, the unwashed rice was clearly, well, we'll see here in a second what happens with the steamed rice. But definitely between these two, I mean, it's, it's no contest. Um, <laughs> the washed rice is just broken. It's broken. It's it's, yeah, it's mushy. Unwashed is firm and distinct, quite delicious, clearly superior. What a shocking result. Like, I, I'm just floored. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, like I say, I'm wondering, did I, did I reverse them? But no, the, the one on the front burner was definitely the, the unwashed rice. You know, it was sitting there in a big, huge, dark cloud of, of starch coming off of it while the washed rice was perfectly clear. So I'm really interested now because the steamed rice was also washed very heavily, was cooked in a lot of water for a short amount of time, but now it's sitting there gently steaming. So I'm really interested to see what happens with this steamed rice now. <laughs> it's kind of funny, like I really didn't think I was gonna learn anything today, you know, I mean, that I didn't know very much about because I've cooked a lot of rice, but, huh. I'm actually gonna have to do more tomorrow because I'm like, really? Nope. Oh, it's kind of a moment of truth here, this is me Looking at the very first steamed rice that I've ever made, I mean, my first thoughts are that it's beautiful. Like seriously, magnificently beautiful. Oh wow. I'm just eating it right out of the steamer. I mean, the, the grains are distinct. 
absolutely, totally, 100% distinct. They're not broken up. It's exactly the right amount of dryness that you're looking for. I'm gonna taste it with the, uh, the unwashed and the steamed rice are very, very similar. I think the, the steamed rice, the grains are a little more, or well, not a little more, like dramatically more separate. When I take up a spoonful and uh, shovel them around, they don't stick together at all. Like they all just sort of come apart. Whereas with the unwashed rice, there is still a little bit of clumping happening. And then, you know, the only thing that I can think of with this, with this other rice is that maybe it was a little too much water. Um, and maybe if I had washed it and cooked it in the same amount of water as the, uh, as the unwashed rice, it would be better. But it is, it is by far the loser. So it might be that it had too much water. Maybe I was too aggressive agitating it. Maybe I was too aggressive washing it. Although, honestly, I, didn't, I wasn't any more aggressive washing it than I was with the, the steamer rice, and the steamer rice is amazing. The steamer rice, made by the technique that I've never done before, and the, the particular method that I got from Fuchsia Dunlop, and the unwashed rice, cooked in one and a half to one ratio of water to rice. Are, I mean, they're by far the clear winners of this. So actually, what's gonna, what I'm gonna do is tomorrow, I'm gonna mess around with the, the, the washed rice uh, and make that a couple of different ways, because I'm really, this has really thrown me and I did not expect this result. If anything, I expected the unwashed rice to look more like the washed rice does right now. And the only thing that I can guess is that it's because it contained a little more water, but it is, I mean, it's just, it's like everything that you think of when you think of bad rice. I'm gonna revisit this. I'm definitely gonna revisit this. This was fascinating. The steamer rice is perfect though. It's like everything you ever wanted rice to be. Chopped some garlic. I only have one clove, fortunately it's a big one. I'll probably add a little garlic powder since I only have one clove of garlic. Garlic powder is totally legitimate. It's in Tony Shashery, so it must be okay. Okay, my sizzling has started to die down a little bit. Go ahead and crank the stove back on very low, and we're just gonna let these onions cook for a few more minutes by themselves. That is my, I always like to let the onions cook a little longer so they get that sort of earthy sweetness to them. And then I add the celery and the bell pepper, because I think those, those do better if they don't cook for quite as long, in my opinion. Kind of hypnotic, the smell, of, or the, the sound of cooking onions. I mean, this is basically, this is like the thing that unites the world. Everybody does this. Everybody cooks onions. Everybody that has them, basically, which is just about everybody. All right, they're nice and sweated, nice and translucent. Going to go ahead and add my bell pepper and my celery, and I will start accumulating my spices and my various flavorings. Got my trusty old Worcestershire sauce. Cajun fish sauce. Got my trusty old Tabasco, which also is sort of like fish sauce and that it's seriously funky. And again, I, I am of the opinion that Tabasco is better as an ingredient than it is as a hot sauce. I like putting it in stuff that it's then going to cook into for a while. You get a funk that most hot sauces that are not Tabasco don't have that funk. But if I'm just gonna squirt hot sauce on, on a dish afterwards, I usually use something else. And the more, the longer I, the longer I do this, the, the more I tend to leave a little bit of bite to my celery and my bell peppers. You know, it's nice if not everything is just total mush. And they tend to, they tend to cook to the mush part at this stage. If you leave them, if you add your, your liquid while they're still got a little bite to them, it won't go away for the remainder of the cook. It's the moisture being driven out of them right now and the collapsing of the cell walls that determines the degree of bite left in them. So, you know, I don't want them to be raw. I don't want to like be crunching on, on like raw feeling celery in there, but it's nice if there's a little bit of texture to them. You know, the onion should be like a pretty, almost not quite a sauce. We're not caramelizing them. We're not doing the Indian brown frying thing, but they should be, the onion should lose their structure. But I like for the, the bell pepper and the celery to have a little bit. It just gives it a little textural interest, you know? Otherwise it can just feel like you're eating just endless bowls of mush, you know? And that's, that's no fun. I just added the garlic. Just gonna let that go for just a bit. And there are different spots where you can add your Tabasco and your Worcestershire sauce. I like to add them directly to the roux because I believe with zero evidence whatsoever, <laughs> other than that I like to imagine that that's what's happening. I feel like it's like 
it becomes subsumed in like the base of and the foundation of the whole dish as opposed to if you add it after you add the chicken stock maybe it's like it's like window dressing a little bit i mean you can also add it after the chicken stock if, if, if you feel like it needs it but i feel like again with basically no evidence but i mean how many <laughs> people standing at the stove make up whatever they want to all the time so i'm just gonna do it because it's my show i feel like putting a little in at the beginning really gives everything a solid foundation of funk to work with. So a few drops of Tabasco, a few drops of Worcestershire, another quick stir, and since I buy my chickens whole, cut them up and make stock with the bones, I have some chicken stock here. I'm gonna start incorporating the chicken stock into my roux a little at a time. You never want to just dump it all in there. It's it's harder to incorporate that way. It's always a little better to just add just a little bit at a time. And then you also get a much better feel for what the eventual texture of the sauce is gonna be. You know, I mean, basically a gumbo isn't that far different from this, just with more liquid so that it's not as thick. You know, it's the same procedure, basically. There's a couple of different things that, you know, that you do eventually. So I'm just adding about a half a cup to a cup of liquid at a time. Remember, we're not baking right now and we're not making sausage, so measurements aren't as important in this, on this end of the kitchen. So it incorporates, it gets nice and thick, and then you'll get a, you'll get a better idea of how, how the eventual thickness of the sauce is gonna look. And it actually, it always feels like to me, like it gets a little bit thinner when you add the chicken as the juices sort of leach out, but then over time as it cooks and things evaporate, then it will um, thicken back up again. So usually at the beginning of something like this, I would rather my gravy be a little bit too thin than a little bit too thick because it will thicken up through the cooking process as the starch granules swell up and absorb more liquid, as some of the liquid gets driven off from the cook, it is gonna thicken up over time. So that's about three cups, three and a half cups of liquid. And it's now at the consistency of like a really thick soup, you know, like a bisque almost. It's, it's definitely liquidy, more liquidy than like a thick gravy sauce. I think that's pretty good to start with. Gonna add my spices now. I'm gonna add paprika, quite a bit of it. I like paprika. It's the unsung hero of spices. And I'm gonna add a little bit of thyme. Oop, that's not thyme, that's rosemary. There's thyme. Yeah, I don't want rosemary in this, that'd be gross. Well, it might not necessarily be gross, but it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be what I was looking for. That's for sure. Throw in a bay leaf. A little bit of cayenne pepper. And since I only had the one clove of garlic, I'm gonna add a pinch of garlic powder. Now just in the time that's cooked, it's thickened up considerably. It's actually thickened about to where I would want my final sauce to be. So I'm gonna add a little bit more, maybe another half cup close to a cup of liquid. That looks pretty good. You wanna get it to the consistency you wanna start with before you add the chicken, just cause it's easier to incorporate the liquid into the, into the roux. Cold liquid to hot roux, hot liquid to cold roux. Uh, it prevents Splashing, uh, sizzling, prevents burning, prevents the roux breaking. It prevents all sorts of different catastrophes that can happen. So always, always, always remember that rule. And that, that's not just in Cajun cooking, that's anywhere you're using a roux. It's exactly the same as if you use cornstarch, always make a slurry first, unless you're using it to fry something. But if you're using it to thicken a liquid, you always make a, a slurry. Hot roux to cold liquid cold liquid to hot roux. There you go. Now you know everything you need to know. So I'm cooking this for just a second just to see what it looks like as it thickens up. I said at the beginning I have two legs, two thighs and drumsticks, and I also had a breast. This is a whole breast. It doesn't look like I butterflied it. So I am going to start with cooking the, uh, the thighs since they're going to take quite a while. And this, you don't have to do this. It just means that at the end, your chicken breast is gonna be a little nicer. It's gonna, not gonna be dry and stringy, it's gonna be a nice poached chicken breast. So I'm gonna start cooking the, uh, the thighs. I'm gonna cook the thighs for, I'm gonna let them go for about a half hour, and then I'll come in, put the breast into the sauce, and let it simmer away. And I'm just gonna simmer it right on the stovetop. 
Um, I'm not even gonna cover it. The chicken is submerged in the sauce right now. This isn't exactly a braise, this is more like a poach. Except it's a poach that, that leaves you with this amazing gravy. So then, when it's time to serve it, you plop the rice down, you know, and then you put your chicken piece on top of it. Usually, people differ in how they, in how they do it, but usually, when I've seen this dish served, it's almost always they give you the whole piece of chicken. Um, you don't usually strip the chicken off the bones and distribute it through the sauce. So at the end of this, you'll get a big helping of rice, and then you put the chicken on top of it, and then you put a ton of this beautiful, awesome, delicious sauce around it, and then you mix the sauce up in the rice, and that's, that's basically what rice and gravy is, except then you get this piece of chicken at the end. So I'm just gonna leave it to, to simmer, not even covered, just open. I'll just check on it every few minutes to make sure, it, you know, and stir it and make sure it's not sticking to the bottom. Make sure it's not getting too thick. Make sure there's not too much water coming off of it. If it needs to be thinned out a little bit, add a little more chicken stock. If it doesn't, then just leave it. It's totally fine. This is really basic, really simple home cooking. It really doesn't take long to put together either. And it's delicious. You can tell by the smell it's gonna need a pinch more salt. You know, at the end, pull the chicken out, taste it, adjust the seasonings, if any, that they need. You know, maybe it needs a little more heat, maybe it needs a little more paprika for sweetness, maybe it needs some Worcestershire, maybe it needs some Tabasco. You fix all that at the end. I'll add a little pepper. Chicken fricasse, one of the unsung classics. It really should make a comeback because it's a, it's an easy it's an easy weeknight meal, you know. Once you learn how to make a roux, and if you if you can make a roux, you can make anything in South Louisiana cooking. That's the hardest part, and it's not that hard. So try it. So we're here to try a couple more uh, rice cooking methods, given the very surprising failure of my washed rice that I did not steam yesterday. And having thought about it more and uh, sort of considering things, my current operational theory is that there was just too much water. What we're going to find out today is that the measure by the knuckle test is garbage. That's what I'm working with right now, so we'll see what happens. If nothing else, we're gonna learn more, even if we don't learn anything conclusive. So I pulled out one of my modern Jaffrey cookbooks. So I've got two different kinds of, I've got two pots of rice going, identical pots, identical amounts of rice, and I'm going to do one according to Matter Jaffrey's explicit instructions, and the other I'm going to do based on the old wash the rice and then measure the water by putting the water up to your first knuckle on top of the rice. Matter Jaffrey, by the way, also measures her rice very carefully, but this is her method that we're doing for plain long grain rice in one of her cookbooks, which one is this? Matter Jaffrey Indian Cooking. Uh, she wants you to wash the rice in several changes of water and then soak, which I have also, I don't think I've ever really soaked rice, but a lot of Indian rice recipes do in fact call for soaking. So that is something that is different from the way that we did it before. And so she wants you to soak it for 30 minutes, drain it, put the drained rice, salt, and one and one third cup of water to one cup of rice. So slightly less water than the knuckle version, which again, the unwashed rice yesterday was one and a half, and I'm pretty sure the knuckle version was closer to two. And she wants you to cover with a very tight fitting lid, turn the heat to very, very low, and cook for 25 minutes. Uh, that's after it gets to a boil. And then take it off the heat, let it rest covered and undisturbed for another 10 minutes. So I'm going to follow Matter Jeffrey's directions exactly for this rice. And then with the other one, which is sitting in its pan dry, I'm just gonna rinse it, I'm gonna wash it thoroughly and cover it with water up to my knuckle and cook it for 20 minutes and just like we did yesterday. All right, 25 minutes later, my alarm just went off and uh, we're ready to go here and open the covered containers. See what these look like. First, I am going to, well, Matter Jaffrey says to leave the container covered for another 10 minutes. But I'm not gonna do that. I'm just gonna make a go at it. Some very pretty rice, for sure. Very light, very fluffy. Oh, wow, that's beautiful rice. That is magnificent. It looks 
It looks in texture actually very fairly similar to the steamed rice. Take a little taste here. It's maybe slightly stickier than the steamed rice, but not not much. It's definitely more distinct and more separate than the uh, unwashed rice. The unwashed rice very definitely had a little rougher texture, stickier than this for sure, although still with distinct grains. There's a little bit more chewiness to this to this rice than I think either the steamed or the unwashed. It's got a slightly firmer texture. It's quite good though. I would very happily eat lots and lots of that rice. So that was 25 minutes and uh, yeah, this is certainly a very acceptable rice. Now let's look at the unmeasured but washed rice. See what we got here. It is still, it's moist for sure. You can see there's a lot more steam coming off of it, interestingly, when I opened it up. And it looked, when I opened it, it was beautiful. And now, now that I've fluffed it a little bit, see how it looks. I would definitely say that it's very sticky and I would also say that it doesn't, I haven't tasted it yet, but it looks like it doesn't have a lot of a, as firm a texture. It's got kind of a gummy feeling to it. And as I stir it, the grains themselves don't seem to have a lot of structure. Like they break really easily, which I think was actually what was happening because Yesterday, in the first batch that I made, when I popped off the top, it looked really beautiful. And I was like, oh, this is going to be great. And the first bite that I took was was fine. Definitely in comparison to the, in direct comparison to any of the other three styles, this is, uh, it's still by far the worst. And actually, the longer it sits here, the and the more you sort of stir it and manipulate it, the more it breaks up, the smaller the grains become and the gummier it gets. So... Given what I've seen so far, I'm going to say the one thing that we've definitely learned from this is that doing the knuckle measurement technique is garbage. Um, I am never going to do that again. It certainly explains why I've had some, I don't, I, I typically measure, occasionally I will try the knuckle measurement and sometimes it seems like it comes out okay and sometimes it doesn't, but that's probably because sometimes I'm just putting a little less water in. My current conclusion from the five batches of rice that I just made is if you're making the rice in the traditional way of cooking it in a covered pot, make sure you measure. You're gonna be using between one and one third to one and one half times as much water as rice. But you wanna measure, you have, you have to measure to get at least within that ballpark or you're gonna get this gummy garbage. If you don't wanna measure at all, do the steaming method because you don't have to measure. Uh, you just boil in a bunch of water, drain the rice and then steam and it was also perfect. Um, three of these methods were fantastic. The, the knuckle, you know, just a garbage method. That is leaving my repertoire permanently. I will never again cook rice by measuring it with my finger. Stupid. Jack the Pantry is a production of KBBI AM 890 in Homer, Alaska. It's hosted by Jeff Lockwood. The theme music is String Quartet Opus 10 Movement 2 by Claude Debussy, performed by Kotor Ebane. This is the first episode of the seventh season of Check the Pantry. Your financial donation as a listener makes this and other KBBI programs possible. Visit the KBBI public radio website at kbbi.org support to help produce programs like this.